Welcome back to DMnastics, the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds. I'm DM Neil, aka Jump Maniac, and with me today is none other than I'm Greg Leatherman. I am a DM for a podcast called Mythical, and I'm also a player in a different podcast called Very Random Encounters. Yes, and you should go check those things out. And you should also check out episode number 95, which we'll tie back to, called Battle Monsters. Which, surprisingly enough, hey, Greg, you were the guest for that one. I was the guest for that one. Yeah, and with your guesting, I was inspired to make Diamnastics number 79. It's evolutionary, because there was a lot of talk of Pokemon and things of that nature. So I thought it would be interesting to kind of throw out some iconic creatures in the D&D zeitgeist if you will and see what people could come up with in terms of either you know placing that creature somewhere on an evolutionary scale in the middle at the end at the beginning whatever and come up with those missing pieces that hopefully will produce some amazing things yes and they did which of course is what we're going to talk about first we will refer to some of the amazing posts that were on the forum and greg if you want to do your shout out first then we'll go from there One of my favorite responses on the post, I like the beholder as a middle evolution. Mm -hmm. So like there's a small, like a baby one, and then the beholder is the mid evolution. And then the idea of this giant behemoth, just floating eye stalks, crazy, like central eye sort of, you know, that bizarre (laughs) late stage evolution thing. Love that idea because I always tend to think of like the beholder as the final stage and like t- two stages before it. But the mm-hmm. common beholder that we see now is the middle evolution is really a great idea. So that was from Laser Sniper on the yes. forums, and yeah, no, I really like it too because it's like you said, the beholder is always kind of exists as this really end game style monster. Yep. You're not going to fight the Beholder unless, I mean, which makes sense because all of the ice docks and the terrifying things that they can do to your players, it makes sense that you wouldn't want to fight that until you're high enough level yep. that you've probably played your character enough that you won't be sad when he dies and falls <laughs> into a pile of dust. And I also really like the naming that yeah. Laser Sniper did. The uh, Barrowman is yeah. the name of the gigantic one. It almost makes me think of a larger version of those creepy monsters on Doom. Yeah, great naming conventions. Yeah, because the even his smaller version is the Holden. Yeah. Where it's a smaller, like, crab-like version of just, like, the jaw running around trying mm-hmm. to get you. Which, of course, is terrifying. So, every version is terrifying. <laughs> Beholders, period. Yeah. Are terrifying. And all the versions they've created in the books, like, none of them are good. None of them are like, oh, that's cute. It's like, nope. <laughs> nope, gonna die. <laughs> they are all bad, or they are worse. That, yes. Those are your options. So for mine, I want to give a special shout out to Galakan because they found some of the again terrifying art to go with their idea. Mm-hmm. In that, one of the options I put out there was a, the mimic, and they took the mimic and essentially let the mimic kind of be its own evolutionary scale in that what it can become. It widely varies on what it is involved into. And the one that they actually found art for, and you definitely need to go check out the forums on this one, is a bonfire mimic where it looks like there's just a fire sitting there and your adventurers are undoubtedly going to be drawn to it because it's like, why is there this fire? And not only that, there's looks to be like a magical sword in the fire, yeah. but it is 
the tip of the bonfire mimic iceberg, if you will. And it is actually like a six appendage creature that's probably three, four times the size of a normal human. Mm -hmm. And it's going to pop out of the ground as soon as they get there. And I think that that's just absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Mimic's teaching adventure is just stab every inanimate object you come across. Trust nothing. (laughs) Death curtains, death carpets, death walls, death ceilings. It's all going to kill you. How any of these people actually survive? You'd adventure for like five years and you'd have such post-traumatic stress syndrome from, oh, I sat in a chair and it tried to eat me. Yeah. (laughs) Just these poor people. Oh, man. And especially with the Mimic, there's so many things that are terrifying anyways Mm -hmm. and then if you think of how many other things you could make into a mimic and how much more terrifying those would be yes if you think about the small scale of a mimic is like oh cool i found this potion oh no it's trying to go down my throat and oh i failed my save drowning rules here we go here we go look those up again how does suffocation work oh they're so good But there are a ton more options that I had tossed out. So Greg and I are going to start lifting the mental weights right now. Yes. Lifting weights is what I do. Look at me. Lift these weights. So Greg mentioned off air that he had ideas for all of the ones that we had. But I'll throw it to you, Greg. Which one do you want to start with? Let's start with the owlbear. Owlbears are so crazy. Owlbears is so bizarre Pokemon design to start with. Yeah. You know, it's basically what a bored wizard did in his teens. I don't know. I'm going to combine an owl and a bear. <laughs> he, couldn't, he couldn't go anywhere. So he's just like, well, this well, is all I have available to me. Use the tools that I have next door. Yes. And I love the owlbear as a two-stage evolution. So the owlbear is the final evolution. And okay. it's pre-evolution or the the one that you would find like on route three is sort of i'd call it a cublet it'd be much more bear-like but with like just like the owl eyes and the little owl beak kind of cute but still kind of oh that's not right (laughs) that's you know that doesn't look correct oh it's so good especially if you give it the i mean you i feel like you have to give it this you'd have to give it that ridiculous neck rotation Oh, absolutely. Oh, it's so good. Like that animated sprite, you know, it would just turn its head all the way around and back. Mm-hmm. Like checking in on you. But it would also have to be like a ground flying type because that's like the owlbear is such a weird combination itself. Mm-hmm. And that combination makes no sense. So I feel like it'd be like this flying ground type creature and then it would evolve into the actual full fledged owlbear that we know and love. Yeah. Any of the artwork from all times would work, too. Oh, like yeah, Like the true. old 70s stuff where it was just like, I don't know what you're drawing there. To the new ones, all of it. Love it all. Oh, yeah. So good. And my theory with the old 70s art is that people were so used to man in suit style yeah. movie effects mm-hmm. that that's like kind of built itself into the way. Because if you look at the owlbear, it totally looks man in suit style. The other one is the Tarrasque really looks like it's a man in a suit. Yes. And so luckily we've, we've evolved past that and it can be things that just use four legs. But no, I really like that. I wasn't sure if you were going to go down the kind of uh, slow bro method for the evolution of the owlbear or not. But I really like having it as the couplet. And then because you can go that cute, but now it's creepy route. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Like the Tarrasque feels very much a legendary mm-hmm. creature. Like there's only one of them. 
It's like the signature creature on the box. But as we've learned in Sun and Moon, that they can also have pre-evolutions. So it, it, kind of True. looking at it, you have to sort of think, okay, so what sort of hive form? Like, is it a cocoon and then it hatches? Is it this underground beast? So mm-hmm. does it start as just like a weird spiked egg and that through the game you, you found the sort of weird spiked egg and you're carrying it around and then when it makes plot sense you sort of subject it to whatever solar radiation or music or whatever they decided for that particular game and then it transforms into this legendary creature. So it's not usable until you hit that point in the game where you can cause the evolution in this sort of useless egg that you've been carrying. And I kind of like that idea for the Tarrasque as this very legendary creature that you had to, you just carried this mystery egg with you never knowing what it was. And then suddenly at the pivotal point, it becomes this earth chattering creature. Oh yeah. That's your friend. Cause that's hey. how Pokemon works. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter that you could destroy the world. You're my buddy. Yep. I like it. Yeah, and then trying to think of like the stuff along the way for like the Jurassic. You'd almost have that like four step evolution, I'd have mm-hmm. to think. Yeah. Hopefully doing something better than adding the word mega to it, but you yeah, know, whatever. <laughs> so then the one I wanted to kind of play around with was the idea of the gelatinous cube, because I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Gelatinous cubes fall in line of that standard Pokemon lazy design that brought us things like Voltorb and Electrode. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's a see-through cube. Yep. It's a giant circle that's painted like a Pokeball. And it blows up sometimes. And, yep. Whoops. Yep. So I was thinking, you know, and kind of going down the path that Laser Sniper paved for us in that making the gelatinous cube the middle evolution. Yeah. And kind of going from there because, and then playing off of your Voltorb statement, I would almost see it as this like droplet or. Yeah, I was thinking droplet. That's funny. Yeah. So like that would be the base evolution and it it essentially would be more of like they, oh, okay, perfect idea. I I can see it in my mind. So essentially, like you walk into a hallway and there's just all these like weird droplets on the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And then that's kind of like how they hang out. And then they just drop down and then you could have a few of them kind of going down that magmite road where they all coalesce and then become a gelatinous cube. Yes. Now, the question would be, what would. So the only logical thing that I can think. Well, I say the word logical and then the oh, fact that we're having the, discom- the conversation we're having. So we'll just move on from the fact that I said logical. <laughs> the loose logic yeah. that has been created by this. Thus far in this conversation would be to give it more mobility. So I would almost want it to be, and I don't know of another like analogy to play into it, but uh, the pop culture reference of like the marshmallow man. Mm-hmm. Or something akin to that. And you could, I mean, you could go down a bunch of different roads, but something that gives the gelatinous cube more mobility because that's going to make it much more terrifying. Because, yeah. like, the reason it's not quite as scary, but still scary, is because you can more than likely just outrun it. Yeah. I was always sort of imagining that what if, because you, know, you always see pictures of the gelatinous cube, it's always got like a skeleton and armor inside. 
that's like the standard picture of it. So what oh, if yeah. what if that was the final triggering evolution? Like you fed it that and it was able to actually then mold itself around that equipment and that skeleton and gain a humanoid-ish form that way, which would allow it to obtain normal speed, have appendages to use weaponry and shields. Oh, I like that. Like that third evolution is it's wrapping around that victim and then taking on that form. I like that a lot. Yeah, and almost like that's still that iconic gelatinous cube centerpiece like in the yeah. middle. But it, yeah, it's just essentially it's to get weirdly meta. It's what the armor is wearing instead of you get what I mean. Yeah, where, yeah. where it's surrounding the armor. I like that. Yeah. So what's up next? We kind of hit Tarask, hit Owlbear, gelatinous cube. Bullets are bullets. I can't decide if bullet is the final or the start. I would love to see both a baby version of the bullet that went into the bullet. So like a tiny little, just a little sliver thing, you know, it doesn't necessarily have any sort of arms and legs, just sort of like this cylinder that can sort of burrow through the ground and then it evolves into the bullet. But I also like the idea that the bullet is a base form and then to make it more terrifying when it evolves, it can now fly and burrow like it gains these giant steel wings and becomes this screeching terror from both the sky and the ground so Mm -hmm. that it could burst out of the ground take to the sky and then it just treats dirt like water and just dives back in so it's this this sort of this dual terror i like that too and you'd almost want to make it and then in my head you would almost want to make it seem sleeker when it's in the air in the sense that like the it's almost like that carapace is what forms the wings. So yeah. then I can see it. I don't know why I have like really vivid pictures of all of these for some reason in my head, but you can almost see it like as soon as it gets close to the ground, just like tightening those wings back in yeah. and just hitting it like a dart and then burrowing back under and then unfurling them once it pops back out yeah. and takes back to the air. Like the wings just sort of fold around so that you can't see them on the body mm-hmm. so that they're just, you know, tight in so it's sleek for going through the ground. And then when it pops out, you know, they just unfurl from the sides like unwrap this terrifying metal unwrapping sound and then it just flies into the air and is extraordinarily terrifying man these are so good especially if you did that did an evolution right before your players oh yeah like they start fighting the bullet and then then it involves into whatever we want to call it but now it has like these crazy wings unfurl and it takes to the sky and just how interesting that could be for your players to experience. Oh, yeah, totally. Call it a skylet. Ooh, I like it. Mind players are difficult. Yeah, see, and so, some of the more intelligent creatures are much more difficult to view in that way. Because while the beholders are intelligent, they are monstrous. Yeah. They're absolutely monstrous. And it's the Mr. Mime problem where it's like, ugh, he, ooh, I don't feel comfortable with this humanoid form. <laughs> yes. But I kind of, I've always tried to mention like, okay, so what does Mind Flayer society look like? Like, what does a baby Mind Flayer actually mm-hmm. look like? Mm-hmm. You know, is there like a rite of passage where it gets its tentacles? Is it just sort of like a regular humanoid? And then once it hits its middle form, it becomes the Mind Flayer that we know. So I've always sort of imagined that if... A baby mind flayer just appeared in society. Like you dropped it off at your local drow depot. They'd be like, um, that's a baby mind flayer. Get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. So I was always thinking, what if 
like their children didn't have the tentacles, but looked much more like humanoid, just children. They didn't have the tentacles, but they were slipped into society, kind of like, you know, birds that, you know, leave their eggs in another nest. Mm -hmm. So that idea where mind flayer children are entered into society as like orphans and then, you know, they're ingrated into that society. They are raised by that society. And then when they reach that evolutionary point, they become the full-fledged mind flayer. And, you know, at that point, they're a member of society. And, you know, local people start disappearing near their house. And it's a short-term thing. But, you know, hey, they've already taken over their society. Yeah, because, I mean, in, it plays pretty well in, in an interesting way in that the Mind Flayers want to learn more. You know, and that yeah. is kind of the neutral evil, in a way, mentality that they have is they just want to learn more and understand more. And that's how they get their psionics to work. It's just all based off of this knowledge and this understanding. And that could be a fantastic way for them to just implant themselves into human or humanoid societies and then learn more to then just evolve and then go back to the main mind flayer city that they came from. Yeah. And then their last evolution is just basically, you know, they're becoming pure mental creatures, just foregoing the body. And they're just sort of like this tentacled head that just floats around, attaches to people to learn, breaks off and heads off. So, like, the final evolution is the ultimate of their sort of psionic creation where they just no longer need their body. They can just mm -hmm. free float around, hang out. I would say because they're protected by the super, super intense psionics that they now possess because yeah. they've evolved into that final version where they're essentially just a brain. Yeah, a brain with tentacles that will eat people. Yeah, you know, when it, every now and again. <laughs> every now and then, when they get hungry or bored. So... The last one that I want to kick around, and it's actually not on the list I put on the forum, but I thought it would be really interesting to kind of look at the Invisible Stalker. And it kind of makes me think of that starting out at Ghastly and going through that evolutionary mm -hmm. chain. I think it'd be really interesting to think about the idea of what could that present itself as and where we would put the Invisible Stalker on that evolutionary scale. Yeah. Ooh, Invisible Stalker. Yeah. So Invisible Stalker is... It's got a very wispy form. It's very indistinct that way. So I kind of like the idea of the ghastly version as a start. But it's it's got such a hunter focus. I almost feel like, whereas the Invisible Stalker is much more of a humanoid form, I feel like a Mist Crow or even sort of like, mm. an, like a Mephit type body, where okay. it's that sort of tiny, you know, little annoyance that can get in and out of places that it's got that sort of much faster freedom of movement because it, it's small and still very wispy and gets in and out of things. And then, you know, as it evolves, like the middle form is much more of humanoid sort of form where it's mm -hmm. maybe ditched the wings to gain, you know, m more substance, legs, claws, and then the final form is what we see in that book where it, you know, it's just a much larger, sort of massive free flowing creature you know that's basic experience off of its hunt as a much smaller creature and then it's something that can fit easily into society the invisibility makes it you know yeah a little bit difficult to, yeah to, to pin down but it's like you said it's almost like this wispy kind of thing and you're in because you can still see it once you've done something 
to yeah. do so. You know, be it throwing flour in the air or have true sight or something along those lines. But yeah, no. Fairy fire. Yeah, exactly. Like all, of, all of those anti-invisibility things that players love to use on NPCs but hate being used on them. Ah, <laughs> uh, the the ever increasing <laughs> arms race. Awesome, sir. I think we've done it. I think we've tackled some amazing evolutions through yes. some iconic monsters. And you didn't get some. I don't know how you couldn't get something amazing out of this because it's definitely another great way to throw new and interesting things that still have the same feel at your players. But the better question I have is, where can people go to find you? On the internet. I know you kind of mentioned it, but where could they go? So I'm easily found on Twitter. So at White Wing on Twitter. Then if you look up Mythical Podcast, it's the D&D Pokemon World podcast that I'm running. And then I also have a new podcast called Very Random Encounters, where we have randomized as much of the world and our characters as we can. To see what happens when you just say you have no choice. You roll dice and you take what you get and run with it. So very random encounters the other place. Those are the easiest to find me. Awesome. So as always, you can email us at dmnastics at gmail.com. Or you can head over to Twitter and follow our main account at dmnastics. Or if you wanted to follow me, you could go to at jokemoniac. And as always, for everything else on the network, you can head over to blockpartypodcastnetwork.com. But above all of that, I want to implore you, the listener, to join the forums and take part in these challenges and exercises, as well as the other conversations being had. To do that, head over to dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net and try some dmnastics so your players don't have to ask... Do you even lift? Oh, I could barely lift my right arm because I did so many. I don't know if you heard me counting. I did over a thousand. Just watch out for the guns. They'll get you.